Hey, good morning. Welcome to the story. It's, uh, it's really good to be with you guys here at the River Oaks campus. It's good to be with you guys that are joining us online. I'm really thankful that you're here. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name's Kale. I'm the Timber Grove campus pastor out at our brand new campus out at 8200 Washington Avenue. And if you're not familiar with our Timber Grove campus, we're about six months old. And they rolled out some pretty exciting news in the past couple of weeks. So we are tenants in the downstairs space of a pretty big building. And so we are officially welcoming some brand new neighbors to our upstairs. It's a company, it's called Railway Heights Market. And what they are, it's a, it's a massive food hall. So you can see there, they have chandeliers. It's, a, it's an open concept. And think of 13 different restaurants. Think of a massive open circular beer and wine bar. They have an an incredible view, an incredible balcony. So hey, if you know anybody that is in our area, in the Timber Grove or Heights area that likes to eat and drink, just have them come a little bit early to Sunday brunch and come and stop by our 9.45 a.m. worship service at the Story Timber Grove, all right? Now, most of you probably know me as the campus pastor. Most of you, you, you probably know me as, as working at the story, but, but I've had a bunch of different labels growing up. My, my very first label was, was when I was born. I was born in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and my grandfather, he had four daughters, my mom being one of them. He had four daughters, and those four daughters had six daughters of their own. So there were 10 women before the first boy was born, and you guessed it, I was the first boy. I have a pretty big, crazy Cajun family. So the woman's hospital of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, it was, it was going pretty crazy that day. All my aunts, cousins, they were screaming out, it's a boy, it's a boy, it's a boy. And that quickly earned me the label, the prince. That's what, what I was known as in my family. I was the first boy in a generation. I was the prince. And the story goes that I didn't even learn how to walk until I was about two years old because I was just carried the whole time. That was... That was who I was. You can see it's baby Kale. I was the prince. Now, as I, as I got older, I got into high school and I got my first real job. My first real job. And, and I was so excited to start at Chick-fil-A. And, and at Chick-fil-A, you're trained up on every single position. So you're trained up as a cashier. You're trained up to take orders and deliver drive-through faster than humanly possible. You are, you're trained on the, on the proper tone and inflection and enthusiasm with which to say, my pleasure, to anything anyone says, my pleasure, my pleasure. But my, but my favorite part of working at Chick-fil-A was every Monday night, we had our family night. So every Monday night in Tomball, Texas, from 6 to 9 p.m., we had our family night and I got to be the cow. I got to, to dress up as the cow. And, and, and as you can imagine, I was pretty animated, pretty enthusiastic. I was a pretty good cow, pretty good at my job. And, and as I progressed through the week, as I would work as a cashier and in the drive-thru and clean up, my coworkers, they would say, well, what's he doing here? I thought he only worked Monday nights. I thought he was just the cow. And, and so that was the label that I had with my coworkers. I was the cow. And that wasn't the only label that I had in high school. In high school, to my classmates, to my teachers in the classroom, I was labeled as the principal's kid. My dad, 
he was also my high school principal. And, and some of my classmates, they thought that was the only reason why I got A's in my classes was because of my dad. And, and it was a pretty difficult label to navigate as a teenager because I wasn't, I wasn't known as Kale Kinchin. I was known as Mr. Kinchin's son. And then I, I graduated high school and I went to college and, and I, I got a label that some of you might have shared with me. I went to Texas A&M and I was an Aggie. And, and that was my label for four years as an undergrad. I was an Aggie majoring in finance. Then I, I graduated college and I started a career in the commercial finance space. And I, I wore that label really proudly for about 10 years. I started a company where, where I was the fourth employee on and, and we grew in the span of those 10 years to about 50 employees. And I loved the label of being a young, successful entrepreneurial business guy. I loved that label. I relished it a little bit too much. And that's when God, he decided to change that label. Two and a half years ago, I had two different labels come at me simultaneously. The first was November of, of 2018. My wife and I, we, we welcomed our firstborn. It's our daughter, Becca. And she gave me one of my favorite labels that I have today. I'm a dad. And we have a, we've since added to the crew, we have a little five-month-old son as well. His name's Drew, and, and I love being their dad. I love that label. And right after she was born, in January of 2019, I stepped into full-time ministry to become a pastor. And if I'm honest, that has been the toughest label to navigate. My relationships with my family, with my friends, with some of you, it's changed. When, when you get the label of a pastor, some of your relationships changed. It, it even changed how I introduced myself to people. I, I remember the, the very first time someone asked me what I did for a living. About two and a half years ago, we were at a, a kid's birthday party. My wife was, was standing right next to me, and, and a lady asked me, hey, Kale, what do you do for a living? And I remember saying, oh, well, actually, I'm, I'm in ministry. I, I work for a church. I'm I'm becoming a pastor, but, but we're a pretty cool church. We're a, we're a church that, we're actually, we're part of another church. And actually, I work for a campus that's part of this church, that's part of another church. But so I work in ministry, I work at a church, becoming a pastor. My wife had the most confused look she's ever had in her life. She looks at me and she said, that was the most awkward thing that you've ever said. She, she said, I'm embarrassed for you. And so I kid you not, it's a true story. My wife, we got home that night and my wife made me practice with her how I introduced myself. And it took me months until she said I had a passable introduction as a pastor. She said it took me about four months until I could finally introduce myself. And I've gotten more comfortable with that label. I've gotten more comfortable as a pastor, but that's my label now. And the thing about labels is that they're really easy to get and they're really hard to get rid of. You might have, you might have had a label before that's, that's stuck with you. Maybe it's a nickname. Maybe it's something from your past. Maybe it's, it's a job that you've put your identity into. Maybe it's your current relationship status and you felt like this label, like it's, it's impossible to get rid of. Like it would take a miracle to shed. And, and that's what we're talking about today. 
we're, we're continuing our series. It's called Another in the Fire. It's called Trusting God to Do the Impossible. And, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's one of the most often overlooked stories in the Bible, but it's one of my favorites. It's the story of Rahab and how Rahab, she didn't let her label define her. We're, we're introduced to Rahab in the sixth book of the Bible. It's the sixth book of the Bible. It's called Joshua. And Joshua, he was, he was the leader of the Israelite people at this time. But right before that, Moses, he was called and commanded by God to lead his people, the Israelite people, out of Egypt and out of slavery into the wilderness. They were headed into the promised land, this land that God had promised. But in the wilderness, Moses died. And Joshua was raised up as the leader of the Israelite people. He was called and commanded by God to finish the task, to take the, the two and a half million Israelite people across the Jordan River and into the promised land. And, and here's the deal. There was a problem. The promised land had people in it. There were people living in the promised land. And so Joshua, he was smart. He was strategic. So he sent two spies ahead of them to, to go scout out the land. And so those two spies, they went to scout out the land, specifically the city of Jericho. Because Jericho, it was, the, it was the strategic city with how you entered into the promised land. So if you had Jericho, then you had access to the entire promised land. It was the land of Canaan. And so that's where we find ourselves today. So we're in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, and this is verse 1. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Did you notice the difference in labels between Joshua and Rahab? Joshua, son of Nun. We hear earlier that he was a leader of leaders. He was a male. He was part of God's chosen people. And then we see Rahab, the prostitute. Rahab, she's only mentioned five times in the Bible, and four of those times she's labeled as Rahab the prostitute. No little girl grows up hoping to become a prostitute. She becomes one by, by evil, deplorable, demonic things happen to her. She's treated as a, as a soulless commodity. She's used and abused by men and by everyone else. And in ancient biblical times, it was worse. Women, at best, were treated as second-class citizens. They work. And can you imagine what it was like to be known and to be labeled as a prostitute? Can you imagine? But Rahab, she, she didn't let her work define her worth. Rahab decided to boldly step out in faith. And, and we see the way that she boldly stepped out in faith in three different ways. And, and the first way that she does that is she risked everything. When, when the king of Jericho, when he caught wind that the spies were at Rahab's house, he sent an armed army to go and arrest the spies. And that is when Rahab risks it all. This is what she says. She says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. 
But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. When Rahab took the Jewish spies into her house, she was met with a choice. She had a choice. She could either hide these two strangers that she had never met, or she could turn them over to her king and his men. She had a choice. And even though Rahab, she wasn't an Israelite, she wasn't part of God's chosen people, Rahab, she had a heart that was open to God. Her heart was open to God. Rahab knew the difference between good and evil, and she hated evil. Rahab knew better than anyone else how evil and how depraved the city of Jericho was. She knew how, how broken her city was. She knew how, how evil the underbelly of Jericho was. And that was one of the main reasons why she decided to hide the spies. She went against her people. She went against her tribe because she knew the evil that was in Jericho. Rahab knew way too much about Jericho. And she knew just enough about God to know which side she wanted to be on. Rahab, she didn't have the right label, but she had a heart that was open to God. And some of you here today, you're, you're skeptical and, and you're questioning and you're doubting and you have a heart that's open to God. You, you know the difference between, between good and evil, but, but you're still hesitant to wear that Christian label just yet. You're hesitant to, to wear the label of, of Christian and to share that with your family or your friends or your coworkers and tell them that you've been coming to church, that you might be coming religious, that, that you have this, this faith and, and you don't wanna wear the Christian label because you feel like it doesn't fit because you're not like those perfect Christian people and you definitely don't want to be labeled as the hypocritical Christian. And, and I get it. That was the label that I swore I would never become, the hypocritical Christian, any label but that. What's important today is, is that you have a heart that's open to God, that you know the difference between good and evil, just like Rahab. She didn't know that much about God, but her heart was open to God. She knew the difference between good and evil, and that was enough for her to risk everything. So even if you're, you're not all in on this Christianity thing, even if you're, you're not all in with Jesus just yet, it's worth asking yourself the question, is it worth the risk to follow something that you know to be true? Following the truth, it's always worth the risk. And the question is, are you willing to risk something for God? And for those of you that that have been following Jesus for, for any amount of time, whether that's a day or 80 years. The question for you is, what are you risking for your faith? What are you risking? What kind of faith is worth it if there's no risk involved? What are you risking? Rahab, she, she didn't know too much about God, but she knew just enough to risk everything. Why? Why? Because Rahab, she recognized who God is. She risked everything because she recognized God. Here's, here's what she says next to the spies. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us 
so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She said that everyone in Jericho was melting in fear because of God. But Rahab wasn't afraid of God. Rahab had a proper recognition of who God is. And when we properly recognize God for who he is, we have a proper fear of the Lord. Rahab feared the Lord. The fear of the Lord, it's talked about in the Bible from cover to cover, from beginning to end. We, we see in the Bible that, that the fear of the Lord, it's central in having a right relationship with God. It's central that when we recognize who God is, the proper initial response, it's fear. It's an awesome fear. And that word awesome, it's one of the most misused, misunderstood words in the entire English language. I use it wrong all the time. But what it, what it actually means, it means inspiring great admiration, apprehension, or fear. It's an awesome fear. I remember when, when my daughter, when she had her first experience with a Houston thunderstorm. And she heard the, the thunder and the lightning come crashing down and, and she didn't know where it was coming from. And she comes running to me, tears down her face, says, daddy, daddy, I'm so scared, I'm so scared. I said, it's gonna be okay, baby. It's gonna be okay, we're safe. And then as Houston weather does, we had 22 days straight of thunderstorms. And so, so with every day, she got a little bit more comfortable. Instead of running away, she started walking towards the window. She'd look out the window, she'd see the thunder and lightning, she'd see the rain. And then by the end, my daughter was playing in the rain, thunder, lightning coming down. She was butt naked. She was having the best time of her life. Her immediate reaction, it was fear. And that led to joy. So the question is, do you have a proper fear of the Lord? Any proper recognition of God, it's inherently fearful. And that fear, if you let it, it will lead you to running away from God. Or that fear will lead you to falling on your knees in reverential awe of the God of heaven and earth. Those are your only two options. And if you feel like you're not in either camp, if you feel like you're not really running away yet, but, but you haven't really decided to fall on your knees yet, then you've been running away for far too long. You're not neutral. Rahab, she, she feared the Lord and then she responded faithfully. So she risked everything. She recognized God and then she responded faithfully. This is the next thing that she says. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell them what we are doing, we will treat you with kindness, kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window 
for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Rahab, she responded faithfully by hiding the spies, by lying to the king and his men, by helping them escape the city and by ensuring that they would safely return to their family and to their people at any one of those stages. Rahab, she, she could have said that she had done enough. She could have said that she had, had done enough, but we see her courage building with every word that she speaks. Rahab, she trusted God to protect her from the coming destruction of Jericho, and she was right. Jericho would eventually be completely destroyed and she would be completely protected by God and by his people. Rahab would shed the label of Rahab the prostitute. We see at the, at the end of this story that, that Rahab and her family, they would be adopted into the Israelite people. They were adopted into the people of God. Rahab left Jericho a prostitute and entered into Israel a bride and an eventual mother. Rahab, she, she wasn't defined by her past and neither are you. Later on in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we see how Rahab was defined. It's Hebrews chapter 11, and it's the closest thing that we get to the hall of fame of faith. We've got, it's like the who's who of the Bible. It's the pantheon level all-stars of faith. We've got Abraham, Moses, Noah, David, Sarah, Jacob. We've got, we've got all the main characters in the Bible, and then we have Rahab. Rahab, who who wasn't defined by the profession of her past. She was defined by the profession of her faith. Rahab the faithful. When I was a kid growing up in, in the church, there was a movement in Bible Belt Christianity and, and it taught young people that, that the most important thing that you can do as a young Christian to save yourself from marriage. It's a movement, some of you might be familiar with it. It's called True Love Waits. And, and I remember thinking when I was a kid that if, that if I was saving myself from marriage, then I was a good Christian. I could do anything else and I did everything else. And I would be a good Christian if I was saving myself from marriage. So, so that's what I thought, that's what I did. So I made the pledge. I signed the certificate, I did the ceremony. And, and here's the thing, if you're a parent or, or if you're a younger single person, I am really thankful for that upbringing. I'm thankful that I was, I was taught the biblical truth that anything outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman is a cheap counterfeit version. I'm thankful for that. And so, so I made the pledge and I subsequently broke that pledge. And every time I stepped into church, every time I, 
I opened up my Bible. Every time I bowed my head to pray to God, I felt like a fraud. I had become the label that I swore I would never become. I was the hypocritical Christian. That was my label. I was a fraud. And the shame, it was, it was overwhelming. And the, the insidious thing about shame is that, is that you lose focus on God and you start to just focus on yourself. I fixed my eyes on myself and my past. I, I didn't have a fear of the Lord. I was, I was afraid of, of disappointing people. I was afraid of, of being labeled a failure. I was afraid of what people would think of me, of what their label of me would be. And that fear, it chased me into the shadows. I ran away from God until one day, until one day I had an ACL music festival in Austin, Texas. I had a conversation with a friend. And I was, I was telling him about the shame and the guilt that I felt. And, and he spoke truth into my life. And he said, God has something so much greater for you. God has a label that is so much more significant and so much greater than the label that you give yourself. Yes, you're going to have to leave some things behind. You're going to have to stop fixing your eyes on yourself, start fixing your eyes on Jesus. You're going to have to leave some things behind, but God has greater plans for you. He has a greater label for you. And that's, that's when I decided to trust God, that he had something greater for me. That's the moment that I had a proper fear of the Lord. And that proper fear of the Lord, it led me to have a proper view of his grace. The deep, beautiful, overwhelming grace of God and God's grace, it's greater than my past. I mentioned earlier that, that Rahab, there was only one instance in the entire Bible that she wasn't labeled a prostitute. And it's in the genealogy of Jesus. This is Matthew chapter one. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. It later says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother is Rahab. Rahab went from being labeled a prostitute in Jericho to the mother of Boaz, to the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God the savior of the world. God's grace, it's greater than your past. God's grace, it's, it's greater than Rahab's past and I'm thankful that it's greater than mine. I don't know what, what labels that, that you came in here today with. I don't know the, the baggage that you're carrying with you today, but I know that God has something so much greater for you. That God's grace is greater than anything that you can imagine. That God's label for you, it's greater than the label that you have for yourself. It's greater than the label that anyone else has for you. It's a label that you are a beloved son, a beloved daughter of the fearsome, awesome, righteous, holy, eternal God of heaven and earth. And that God can do the impossible.
He's done the impossible in my life. And he can in yours too. Let him. Let him in by his grace through faith. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that you are a fearsome and loving and unchanging God. That you have called us by name as a beloved son and a beloved daughter that we can be adopted into your family. That we can be claimed as your people. That you love us greater than we can ever imagine. So great that you sent your one and only son to die on a cross and be raised to life so that we can have newness of life, so that we can have a new label that we can find in you. Lord, remind us of that today or give us a a new reminder today that we are so loved, that we are your treasure, your masterpiece, that you have called us in to your family. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name.